coming up on the Canna Cribs podcast. Big Island is a cannabis culture. I mean, everyone, everyone grows plants in their backyard here. I mean, if you look at the stats, we're selling the most cannabis in the state of Hawaii. And, we and have you can ship population. between the islands, right? Um, we cannot ship between the islands. In yeah. Hawaii, going back to the regulation and how restrictive it is here, you have to have a FBI background check to come into our building. Hey, I'm Nick, creator of Canna Cribs and Growers Network where we have educated millions of people on how to elevate their craft. I have toured some of the largest grow operations, befriended the best growers, and built a network of the top cannabis companies. Join me on this next adventure, where I document history with the pioneers shaping the global cannabis industry in real time. Welcome to the Cannacribs Podcast. The Cannacribs Podcast is brought to you by the top brands in the game. We have five categories you want to highlight to help you elevate your craft. Cultivation by Grodan, Lighting by Horticultural Lighting Group, Nutrients by Athena, Post Harvest by Green Bros, and Dispensary by Trees. Thank you to these partners for helping us create the podcast and bring more knowledge to the world. If you want to support the Canicurs podcast, head on over to the link in the description or go to growershouse.com and check out these industry leaders today. It was, I think I was at MJ BizCon and I walked by Nate okay. and uh, I saw Nate walking down the pathway and I'm like, yo, Cannacribs, because I was just, I mean, you guys are putting out great content and I was just, thank you. I was loving everything I was seeing and so I totally recognized Nate at MJ Biz and, and hit him up and got his business card and, and, then, and then connected with you guys. So that's kind of how we got in touch. That is so awesome. Yeah, that, um, I mean, we're actually gearing up for MJ Biz Conference here shortly, uh, you know, going into October here, but uh, such an incredible show, you know, once a year bringing all the industry, you know, leaders together. Um, I think to me, that's my favorite show in North America. I heard Spanibus is pretty good out in Spain, but I haven't been myself. I heard that's good too. That's uh, on the list. I went to Spain, I don't know, it was like 10 years ago. It's such a cool place, uh, like, such a cool uh, culture. And uh, yeah, really want to go back for sure. Totally. With so cannabis, and going back with cannabis would be the best. Yeah. It'd oh, it, it it sounds like it. And they're, I mean, they're legends out there in their own right, and doing a lot of uh, cool things to kind of push this industry forward for everyone. Um, so tell me about yourself, Dylan. You currently operate Big Island Grown. How did you get into the cannabis space? Uh, it's a long story, um, but I, I think I'll start kind of where I grew up, um, and I grew up in Alaska, uh, and nice. my, my dad owned uh, a business called uh, The Green Connection, which would have been a, a great dispensary name, <laughs> uh, but it, it was actually not a cannabis company. It was a uh, tropical foliage uh, lands, uh, interior scaping company where he would sell office plants uh, to all the buildings around town in Alaska and Anchorage. In Anchorage, okay. In Anchorage, and uh, you know he would do, you know, he would basically go into these buildings and instead of landscaping, it's called interiorscaping, and so okay. he'd interiorscape with all these different types of uh, tropical foliage and plants, and and uh, obviously they'd be inside the whole time because Alaska, you know, it's nine tropical foliage in Alaska, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, and 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 he would go, so he the the longer the plant would survive would be a better return for him because then he wouldn't mm. be going back to the buildings all the time right so you know he, he would he would go into these malls and he would pull out these dracaena um these warnicky dracaena and pull them out of the pots and it had he had a tag on when he had planted the plant 
And he was, he was looking at the plants that were from Hawaii and saying, oh, wow, this one's lasted 11 years. 11, wow. year, 11 years in artificial light in a mall, you know, with very little love. And he's, he's like, it just, it made sense to continue to keep buying Hawaii foliage for the business. Mm. And so he, he made some calls to Hawaii and, and he's trying to get more and more of it. And everyone's like, we're sold out for three years. And he's like, that's, you know, he, he basically made the decision to um, try and uh, buy a farm and build a farm in Hawaii. And that's, okay. kind of, and that's kind of how we made it to Hawaii. And, you know, growing up, uh, you know, I, 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 been growing plants all my life, um, mainly Dracaena uh, from the farm that we bought. But yeah, I eventually made it into cannabis when I was, you know, right around 15, 16. It's a really big part of Big Island culture and Hawaii culture. And so it was, you know, prevalent growing up. And um, that's kind of was my first introduction to cannabis. Um, and, I, you know, from there, it just became a, a fascination and, and a passion of mine uh, just growing in my, you know, my closet in, uh, in college. And, okay. and, and, uh, and you went to college in Hawaii as well. I did. Yeah. I, nice. I went to college in uh, university of Hawaii on Manoa. Okay. Uh, and I went to Charlotte college of business, uh, right there in Honolulu. Um, and so, yeah, I was, I was growing, growing cannabis there and I was growing cannabis on the big island before I went to college as well. Right. So. And it sounds like plants have been in your DNA. You know, Alaska has a very special place in my heart. Uh, my dad's family grew up in Kenai, um, have a, oh, nice. still a lot of family uh, up in Alaska all over, but mostly in Kenai. Um, and I have, you know, a, a couple uncles that have reached out like, hey, you know, how do we get involved in the cannabis industry? And they're they're checking it out. Um, are you still involved with Alaska or the cannabis industry at all? Or are you pretty much 100 percent in Hawaii? Yeah, good question. Um, I wish I wish I was involved in Alaska more. I, I love that place. I miss it so much. It's but beautiful. It's so beautiful up there. I mean, I mean, it, you it, are in both like two of the most beautiful places in the world. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I first I, I hit the good luck uh, for sure. Um, yeah, some, so I did something right in the past life. Um, there you yeah, go. Uh, you know, it was it was one of those things where once we got to Hawaii, we started growing because we came to Hawaii to grow those plants for the green connection. And, you know, I was going back and forth. I was in middle school, elementary school. And I was like, it was right when I was kind of growing up and, and, you know, going from kid to, you know, teenager really. Um, And uh, we'd go back and forth. We do like a semester in Alaska then we do a semester in Hawaii. And it was, it was actually pretty, it was actually pretty rough actually. Because polar I, opposites. Polar opposites. And I would go to school and, uh, you know, there was very few, uh, I mean, there's very few white, white kids uh, at mm-hmm. my school. So it was definitely one of those things where, you know, I got picked on a little bit and, uh, you know, I got kind of thrown into it. But, you know, I now looking back, um, I'm really kind of happy the way it worked out because um, it just taught me to respect Hawaii and, and uh, respect this place where I'm from, you know. Um, yeah. And, you know, eventually three, you know, three years kind of back and forth, the parents are like, you know, we're not, we're not going back to the winter. And that's really what happened is we just decided to move, you know, our whole family over here and, uh, and just start growing like, on a commercial scale plants. And that kind of morphed into multiple different types of ag businesses with my dad. Uh, and, you know, we did diversified ag, uh, we did sweet potato and we did tropical okay. fruit, lychee, rambutan, long uh, we did, you know, had 
a bunch of different types of diversified crops going. Um, and uh, yeah, eventually. So yeah, we're, we're going to talk a lot about the Hawaii market um, throughout this interview, but I'm curious, what are your opinions on the Alaskan market right now for cannabis? You know, honestly, Nick, I don't know that much about the Alaska market. Okay. So I, I couldn't couldn't tell you much about it other than the fact that they're they've been a lot more aggressive on the legislative side than we have. And I think that's been a benefit because you can see it really becoming uh, prevalent. Like I went up there a few years ago and saw the dispensaries that are, you know, obviously it's adult use uh, yep. and it's it's a lot more open than we are. I mean, Hawaii, we're, we're very, very strict. It's very regulated. There's eight licenses. Um, you know, it's 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 a very it's almost like New York when they passed the first legislation hmm. over there um, or Florida a while ago. And still until it's now starting to open up extremely a restricted Florida, market, ex- extremely restricted market and uh, very difficult to operate a business because, uh, you know, compliance is um, expensive because it's, it's that restrictive. Yeah. So your family decides to pack up your bags, get rid of the the warm clothes, right, for the winter season, just move down to Hawaii full time. At what point did you decide to take that family business from one green connection to the other green connection and start uh, Big Island Grown? Uh, great question. Um, so it was after college that I graduated and I, you know, I originally thought I was going to go into stocks and bonds, which looking back on it right now, is just I'm glad uh, you didn't. <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't know why I thought that way, but I just thought I just wanted to get kind of out of Hawaii. You know how it is when you're in college. Yeah, you know, that's you're, true. You're, you're kind of, you know, you want to go out into the real world and kind of experiencing something different. But Spread your wings. I did an internship with Merrill Lynch and I was like, this is not, <laughs> this is not oh, for no me doubt. at all. Yeah. So that was uh, my first kind of eye-opening thing. But after college, my, my dad uh, asked me to come really help him get the plant business going again. We had kind of let it go from the recession. So I came here and really started getting the business going. We were sending 40 foot uh, refrigerated containers out. Uh, that's basically what you do in the plant wow. business. You're consolidating a bunch of plants. They'll go in a dark refrigerated 40 footer uh, to California to these different ports. And then from there, they'll get distributed throughout the United States. Um, you know, that those plants are surviving in a cold, dark, refrigerated container all the way to the mainland for, you know, 10 days in darkness. So it's pretty amazing how much those plants, how resilient those plants are. But, you know, from- Mainland being the main core of the United States. Like sorry, Hawaii's that's- Totally <laughs> cool. I'm getting my lingo down. Uh, yeah, so sorry. Like we call the continental of the United States the mainland. Okay. That's just kind of uh, what we call it over here. Alaska, uh, all, all my family calls it the lower 48. In Alaska, we call it the lower 48, too. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, All those other people. Okay. (laughs) I've never lived in the the continental United States. So it's it's been either Alaska or Hawaii my entire life. Um, It's a flyover piece of land. You know, if you're in Alaska and Hawaii, those are two beautiful places. So you're not missing out. Yeah, I mean, I get to go to MJ Biz and all these other places on the mainland and kind of go, get over there and see the industry. And that's one thing about being in Hawaii. It's like I'm kind of, you know, in the middle of the Pacific. We're the most desolate island chain in the world. And yeah. so, you know, you have this thriving cannabis industry over there. And it's it's very different, you know, than it's, it's, it's not very different. Well, it is very different, but it's it's more about like you know, being in our own little zone or own, own little lane and then just going over to the mainland to really see like kind of how everything's growing and, and the industry over there is super cool. But right. to go back to so, your question, 
on how I transitioned. So the way I transitioned to, you know, basically cannabis plants was, uh, I was, I was starting to get a little burnt out on the house plants. And I mean, it was, it's a pretty hard business to run, honestly, cause you're, you're basically competing with, you know, per Puerto Rico and other places that can grow, you know, tropical foliage for way less, you know, um, in terms of labor and different expenses. So right. in 2011, um, you know, I always had this dream since I was in high school about owning a dispensary and opening up a dispensary. It started from a really young age. It started when I was using cannabis. I always thought that because I was in, or my family was in the traditional plant business that I would have a good chance of getting a license if they ever came out. And as the legislation was starting to move through uh, the House and the Senate, um, I kind of noticed that there might be an opportunity for dispensaries to finally open up here. I actually went and testified the first go around and then it didn't happen. But then the second go around, it was one of those things where they pushed it out again and it was a, it was an emergency, uh, last minute capital, like hearing where, where they, they, they couldn't agree on dispensary law. And at the last second, they called an emergency session. And I think they stayed up to like, you know, odd hours in the morning, basically deciding what the dispensary program would be and that same legislation is what we are still under today and that was in 2015 when that happened and and so when i saw that going down i just basically stopped everything i was doing um and just full focus on getting a license i had no money um in, in Hawaii. friends and family how did you source capital that's a great question it was it was uh you know in hawaii like again it was really really restricted um, and very, very difficult to win a license. They put up a, a placeholder of 1.2 million in cash. Okay. So you couldn't have like assets. It was like 1.2 million in cash, had to be in straight, an cash. Straight, straight cash in an escrow account 90 days before you apply. Um, and so, you know, you had to get that money in the account well, well before you're ready to actually submit the application. And we had about six months to do it. And when I first started the, process to get the license. I didn't know what I was doing. I was 27. Um, I had no money. Um, and I just, all I knew is I was going to win and I was just going to figure it out. And my friends and family thought I was crazy to answer your question. Uh, my dad they always do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my dad and my, my mom, um, especially my dad, just, and, and other people around me, um, you know, he, 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 they just didn't really feel like I, had the chance of winning because it was just so political and it required so much money. So it was really a, an individual effort on my part. And I just, I just started meeting the right stakeholders that, you know, really, you know, people from the legacy market, uh, you know, my, my current investor, my current partners from the legacy market in California, um, was really lucky to connect with him, but it was, you know, it was one of those things where it just kind of happened organically. Uh, it was organized chaos. It was really intense, but, Slowly but surely, I, I just, you know, I, I you know, borrowed money and just kind of like slowly put the team together and found really good partners. And um, I found my, my current partner, Jacqueline Moore. She's a, a pharmacist, has her doctorate in pharmacy. And wow. uh, her, her and I are the main executives of the company now. Um, but I found people like that, you know, that because I was this 27 year old, you know, cannabis grower, you know, uh, farmer. And I really needed credibility. So that's how I think I had a chance of winning the license that brought people together that had way more credibility than I did. And I just basically pulled myself back, stood in the, in the background and just kind of like went into hiding 
and put everyone out in front of the application and it just it worked out and it was um it was the best day of my life uh, when they announced the licenses because i could have i bet i could have been down like 150 grand which for me at that time i mean that would have been years working that money back um or i could have had the cannabis license and it just happened to work in my favor and the rest is history isn't it funny how this plant just aligns people in the same path I mean, you had a very clear intention of what you wanted to do. I'm sure Jacqueline did as well. Other stakeholders that you met. It's such a powerful plant that aligns people all walks of life from all around the world. I absolutely love it. Uh, absolutely. It's one of those things where, I mean, we're literally connected to this plant in more than just a, a, a mental way, right? We're connected in a, a physical way as well through our endocannabinoid system. Mm -hmm. And it's, we're, we're made to ingest cannabis cannabis is part of us and it's amazing how this plant connects people and heals people. And, and, and that's, I think we're going back to that story I just told you, if, if I wasn't as passionate about growing cannabis and, and really getting cannabis to people, getting high grade cannabis to people, I would have given up about 10 times during that process. It was gnarly. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it was the most challenging thing I ever did. Um, and if it wasn't for cannabis, I, I wouldn't have continued. It was, there was no way it was way too difficult. So after you won your license, then the race really began, right? So yeah. facility build out hiring talented people to join your team. What did that look like in the early days? You know, it was, you know, you're exactly correct in saying that the, the race really started, the journey really began. Um, and, you know, we we put together an application thinking we knew what we were doing uh, to some extent. And we, you know, obviously hired uh, uh, consultants and experts. This was back when there wasn't as many MSOs kind of, you know, <clears throat> searching for, there was definitely some MSOs applying and there's people like Willie, Willie Nelson and, and Woody Harrelson applied for a license. And, and was, <laughs> Didn't they uh, have like a commune out in, uh, they, they, live in, they live in Maui and there's a lot of, you know, a lot of famous people live in Maui and they did apply for a license. They didn't win. Um, okay. but, uh, wow. Yes. You went up against them and did not win or they did not win. Yeah. Wow. I, I, again, I think it was, uh, it was just, uh, I, I think the regulators are really looking for, um, not to discredit them in any way. I'm sure they're, they're great, but they're just looking for people that were from Hawaii. And I think that really spoke when you saw the, the applications that were chosen. I think they really had a strong preference on that. Um, in fact, part of our law is that over 50% of our ownership must be from Hawaii. It must be Hawaii residents. Um, and, and the plant background sounds, well, that's your specific background. I don't know if it was required or not. That sounds almost similar to the Florida market right? You had to have a certain amount of years in botany companies in Florida in order to get a license. Exactly. Yeah, pretty similar. Um, yeah. So your build out, um, tell me about that. Was this just a property that you set your eyes on? Did you go through a lot of different properties? How did you settle on where you're currently growing today? Yeah, so Big Island's a really unique place in, in that we have 11 of the 13 climate zones of the world. And so you, when you Whoa. drive, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty nuts. When you drive around Big Island, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll be driving through a tropical rainforest and then, you know, an hour later, you'll be driving through a desert. And then you could drive over here wow. and it's like a, it, there's, it go up to the Arctic, you know, there's, there's snow. It snows on Big Island. <laughs> wow. You can actually go snowboarding and skiing on Big Island. On in the fact, same day. On the same day. You go fact, surfing. <laughs> in fact, we used to, in high school, what we used to do is we used to go up and load our trucks. We used to drive all the way up to Mauna Kea 
and uh, we would basically back the truck bed up and we'd load a bunch of snow in the, in the truck bed and then we'd drive right down to the beach and we'd have like snowball fights with the tourists and oh all of our gosh. friends, it's super, super fun. Uh, I don't think there's that really any places you can do that in the world. Um, there's probably a few, but it's definitely a unique, unique island. Um, it's the youngest island in Hawaii, in the Hawaiian chain. And that's mm-hmm. why we have our active volcanoes in Hawaii as well, or on, on the big island. Um, and so it was one of those things where when I was deciding where to, to place the building, it, it really came like at first. So first of all, the laws at that point were only indoor. So when I was really, really yes. And, um, they've since kind of opened up to more greenhouses, but are like hybrid warehouse greenhouse structures. Okay. But back then when we were really starting to build our license out and the first original law was it had to be indoor. And so, you know, part of this thing was that that was one component of choosing the location. Another component was that, you know, I, you know, I grew up on the Hamakua coast, which is basically the area like north of Hilo on the eastern side of the Big Island. Um, and it's a place where sugar, the sugar cane companies or sugar plantations were very, very prevalent. Um, when you drive up from Hilo, you know, as you're you know, driving around the island, you drive up and you basically will go through all these different little plantation towns. Okay. And back in the day, that's, you know, those were massive communities. Um, in fact, they were much bigger Built than they around are. sugar production. Yeah, much bigger than they are today. Uh, Hawaii's main export for a very long time was sugar um, until the tariffs were lifted on the South American um, uh, continent. It, we really, we, we couldn't compete at that point. But before that, when we had the tariffs in place, sugar, all sugar really came from Hawaii. And so there was massive monocropping along the coast for mm-hmm. sugar. And it's how essentially everyone lived. Everyone was in these little plantation towns. And it's why Hawaii is so diverse in its culture, because back then the sugarcane plantations needed, uh, they needed workers. And so they, people would come from Japan and, and Korea and Philippines and all these Like the Asia. gold rush, people going out to go mining, you know, in California. Exactly. The melting pot of talent and, and hard workers. And that's why it's a melting pot, you know, today in Hawaii, it's where it's such a unique, diverse culture of, of people. Um, and it's, which makes Hawaii so cool and so special. But I've never been myself, but it sounds pretty magical. Well, I think we've got to do a can of Kids episode over here. We will. So I think, we it's, definitely it's, will. I think it's time for you to come. Um, no, I mean, it, it, so that was, so these plantation towns, you know, were, were massive at one point and they had big populations. I mean, you would go to these towns and they'd have like a barbershop, they'd have a, a mall, they'd have, a, you know, restaurants. And now when you drive by them, they're just little housing communities with declining populations because there's no job opportunity. And so growing up here, um, I saw a lot of friends basically, you know, have to go to the mainland for work or go to Oahu for work. Um, and I just really wanted to put the building in on Hamakua, even though from an environmental standpoint, uh, the humidity is extremely high at night. I bet. It's not a good place to grow cannabis. It's extremely rainy here. But what, what happened is I was fortunate enough during the application period to uh, get connected to Richard Haw, who he had a he had the he was the largest banana farmer in the United States at one point on the North Whoa. North American continent, um, and he had this banana farm where he had actually installed a hydroelectric uh, uh, system to cool his bananas, and he had like 600 acres of bananas around this facility, 
And what ended up happening, and I was trying to find like the, the, the perfect location. I wanted to be in Hamakua for jobs. I knew it had to be indoor, so I needed infrastructure, power, mm-hmm. and the hydro thing was just such a great component to that. And then also Richard was basically, you know, going about to go into retirement and he wasn't able to just like when I was growing plants, he was like getting to a point where he couldn't compete. And, um, unfortunately, and so he was in this, this point in, in time where he was going to let the banana business basically shut down. And I got connected to him at the perfect time. And, and through many, many conversations, uh, he agreed to, you know, be the CEO of the company and, and lead us in those first few years um, of the so company. So he joined your company and you took over that location. Holy yes. cow. Yeah, and, and it's it's actually a pretty cool story because, you know, he, at first, did it, he, at first he didn't want anything to do with cannabis, but what happened is he had a, uh, someone in that he admired and that person had a child with epilepsy. Mm. And her name was MJ and she was using cannabis for her epilepsy. And Richard saw how that was helping her. And it, after that, he's a soul. He's like, I mean, once yep. you see that one time, you're just like- It takes one miracle, right? One miracle and you're just like, wow, this thing is real. You know, it, you know this was, this was five, six years ago. So, you know, times have changed a lot since six years ago. But back then it wasn't even as, it was just, especially in Hawaii, it was just, and in that demographic in Hawaii was still becoming more acceptable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, what he, he basically said, okay, I'll, I'll join your, I'll let you use my banana farm and I'll join your team. But I have three conditions. Basically, number one, I have to be the CEO. Uh, number two, I have to be a real CEO. And uh, number three, I have to give my workers uh, the first shot of employment. And I'm like, done. Okay. So, he wanted to bring over Old Co's team and personnel, uh, give them a shot at interviews and see if they can take over some of the positions. Exactly. And it's admirable. It's, it, it was, it was. And, um, and I'm really happy to say that we still have some of those banana farmers that are our best employees. And, um, and they're stoked to come into work. I mean, I, I think they like <laughs> growing bananas before, but they probably like, they like growing cannabis a little bit more. So. Um, it all worked out and, and we chose a great location and, and, and from there the work really began, you know, designing the, the building. I mean, at first I was going to use the infrastructure in terms of the buildings he had, but Hawaii has a very, very strict testing requirement. Um, uh, we have, you know, really, really strict microbial um, mm-hmm. testing requirements, 10,000 yeast and mold count, one count aspergillus. Um, and, you know, just mycotoxins and, and the whole gamut. Um, and so we really decided to go clean room with our building um, and just started designing it. And yeah. That's incredible. And I know we're gonna get into uh, the microbial lab testing that you have set up. We're gonna get into more of the genetics after our first break, but I'd love to hear about the size of the building and kind of your, your style of growing. Yeah, so, you know, growing up here, I had grown in all different styles. I've grown out, outdoors uh, in little greenhouses, also in, 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 in indoor grows, um, which we'd have, you know, built underneath houses and bunkers and all different various places underground where you could be growing cannabis. Um, and so when I decided to, you know, put the building and do indoor because of the law, you know, I really wanted to take what I had learned in the past and, and really like get as much information on what was happening in the industry as possible. Unfortunately, 
you know, we were able to really design a building that's really held true to this day. It's, it's, it's probably one of our biggest, it is our biggest asset, I would say, um, one of the biggest assets in our company. Um, and we decided to build a 35,000 square foot building. It's uh, two stories. And we did a uh, you know, box within a box construction. It's all insulated metal panels, IMP construction, refrigeration. Um, and we're able to, you know, back then the box within a box uh, idea wasn't um, as prevalent. So uh, we're, we're fortunate to connect with some different uh, consultants that kind of gave us that um, push towards that. And then from there, we basically sat down, my partner and I, and we just designed the whole building from in to out. And, and you know, we, we took a lot of the external environment um, factors into play when designing it. And so High that, humidity, a lot of rainfall. Exactly. So, I mean, we have a thermal buffer zone is what we call it that runs around our entire building. Um, wow. And in this thermal buffer zone, we're bringing HEPA filtered air into the thermal buffer zone. We're treating it for temperature, uh, for humidity, and then we're pushing that into our rooms through ERVs. Um, from the ERVs, we're basically pulling up, an ERV is basically a fan, you know, and these, there's just small little fans that are in each one of these rooms and each room is airtight. And so you have a really small fan, but you know, you, you get this uh, buildup of pressure just because mm -hmm. the rooms are so, so tight. Um, and so that ERV is pulling up that HEPA filtered air from the thermal buffer zone and then it's hitting a MERV 16 filter um, and then it's getting zapped with UV and then it's getting pulled in the room and then we have positive air pressure. And we're basically taking our positive air pressure from the, the most central part of our building and then kind of like lowering the pressure from there. So we, you know, we're walking around constantly with the pressure gauge, checking the pressures of each room because our goal is here to just basically push everything from the middle out. Right. Um, and, and that allows us to keep perfect climate control especially with the IMP panels, which have super high R values, insulation values. Um, and it's worked out really well. It doesn't matter what the temperature is outside. It doesn't matter what the humidity is. We really have- You have it dialed in. Dialed, yes, dialed. Controlled. So let's talk about active plant count uh, or canopy size, your plant count. What's your monthly output look like? What will the market bear in Hawaii? Yeah, so right now, you know, we're, we're, we are only growing on one floor. But we're working okay. on building out our second floor because we're we're basically at this point now where you know we really need more cannabis if we don't start growing more we're going to run out which is a problem so you're but it's reinvesting for future phases of growth you're not going all out on phase one yeah so phase one has held true um since we you know basically brought our building online and on halloween actually it was on halloween in 2018 and wow. we, op we opened our first stores in january our first store in january 2019 and we haven't really, we've been kind of maxing out that bottom floor since then. And, at, you know, right now we're, we're bursting out the seams down there. If we had any more room to grow cannabis, we would. We're just, we, we don't have any room, but we have a tire upstairs that's ready to go. That's fully sprinkled. It's got, you know, power stubbed. Our switch station can handle a power load increase. So we're ready to go. So we're expanding for, you know, um, adult use. We're expanding for uh, more regulations. Um, uh, or I say lesser regulation on the medical market. So opening mm -hmm. up a little bit more, whichever happens first. Um, you know, eventually this state's going to go adult use. We're really late and I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit, but we're really expanding for that. And so right now we, we have a plant lim plant count limit of uh, 5,000 plants per building. Is that uh, right? 
in the current medical statute or whatever it's called regulations, uh, there's a plant count limit. Yeah, so we don't have canopy square footage limits. We have plant right. count limits. Okay. Um, so we could grow massive one plant per light plants mm-hmm. if we really needed I to. I just saw that in Michigan. Yeah, if we needed to, we could. I mean, obviously, it's not the most efficient way of cultivating. But, you know, right now we're doing, you know, right around 15 plants per light. And as we expand, we're going to have to lower that plant count down when we go upstairs, uh, which we're kind of preparing for as well, mm-hmm. so that we can really maximize that 5,000 plants, but not go too close, you know, not get too close for comfort. Another thing with our plant count limit is that a plant that's uh, 12 inches in a 12 inch by 12 inch, one foot by one foot box is not a plant. So, you know, little hmm. clones um, don't count as a plant. So once they reach a certain size, they hit the plant count limit. Um, and so we're always kind of messing around with that. But right now we have uh, about 5,000 square foot of canopy. Um, okay. We are literally pumping it as fast as it will go. As it will go. We're turning rooms in four days. If we Whoa. could have, if we had more flowering square footage, we would be doing that right now. Um, you know, we have mother bedrooms, 2,000 square feet. Upstairs, we're going to two and a half X our cultivation or flowering square footage. Um, and so, yeah, we need, to, we need to get that done as soon as possible. So that's what I'm working on pretty much every day right now. Yeah. Would you say that the current market in Hawaii can support what you're producing or can you just not get enough to market? Like they just want everything you can get. Well, right now, I mean, well, I think when adult use happens, um, we're going to be able to grow. We'll sell everything we can grow. Um, yeah. That's without a doubt in my mind. But right now... You know, we're dealing with a very restrictive medical market. Um, and so it's, it's difficult to get a license. Uh, it costs a lot of money. And I mean, going, we didn't really talk. It's still with, 1.2 million per license. That was just the placeholder to get, uh, there's only eight licenses. They've only awarded them one time. And okay. each and each license is vertical. So each license that, has, yep. Go full ahead. vertical and great retail processing cultivate i was going to say that's got to be the least amount of licenses per population i've heard of in the entire country it's probably pretty close except for new york when they were when they had opened up new york and they had yeah. those five licenses but they had a really restrictive program too and it didn't matter you know i i mean I, I didn't pay attention to what they were doing out there but it didn't seem like that was a very successful program from what i've heard um, not sure if that was the market or the, it was probably a common, you know, I don't know exactly the reasoning for it, but I'm sure one of the reasons was it was so restrictive. Yeah. And so that's for what, with our state, that's what we're dealing with as well. And in Hawaii, I mean, like I said before, I mean, Big Island is a cannabis culture. I mean, everyone, everyone grows plants in their backyard here. I mean, it is like, it's like being in NorCal on the Big yeah. Island. I mean, this was the, every island's a little bit different. But mm-hmm. if you ask anyone from Hawaii where all the bud was grown back in the day, they're all going to say Big Island. Big Island was where all cannabis was grown in the 80s, 90s. The home um, of Maui Waui, all the legendary cultivars that came out of Hawaii. I mean, there was definitely legendary cultivars in every island. But I'm just saying like in terms of quantity mm. uh, and production and export, because they were exporting cannabis from Hawaii back then. That right. was all coming from Big Island. and that, Properly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I mean, people were driving. My, I have, you know, I mean, I wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't alive in the early '80s, but I have, you know, mentors. I wish I was. <laughs> me too. <laughs> but uh, I have mentors that tell me about like back in the day when they would drive around Hilo, and everyone's just rolling around town with these really nice sports cars, and it was just like one of those like 
golden age era, you know, yeah. uh, times. And, and, and since then that, you know, they've had this un- really unfortunate program called green harvest. That's, uh, you know, they basically fly around in helicopters. They, they have something similar in California, I'm sure. Um, yeah, through the DEA you're talking about? It's not, it's not really, I think, I don't know if it's, no one really knows exactly how it's funded, but I know it's, it's partially funded by the feds and private and partially private funded, which is kind of interesting. Um, but they would just fly around and actually that guy applied for a license. And that was funny because the guy that had, had flown the helicopters applied for a license. And he just got his ass annihilated. To annihilated. <laughs> uh, everyone realized that really quick and it was just came out in full support against it. But Green Harvest is a, a really unfortunate program and really eradicated a lot of the home growing communities on the Big mm. Island. But since then, they've really, you know, since the last, since it started to open up with dispensaries, I think it started to come back a little bit. I haven't heard much about Green Harvest anymore, which is so good. Uh, I mean, I'm a, I'm a home grower before I'm a, a dispensary owner, you know, and uh, I really believe that, you know, our, I mean, I think why Big Island Grown Successful is that our mantra has always been, you know, people shouldn't have to come to us. They shouldn't have to need to come into Big Island Grown. They should have, you know, they should want to come into Big Island Grown. And so if you want to grow a plant at home, we want to support you. We want to teach you. We want to help you. We want to sell you clones. We want to sell you seeds. I mean, we've been pushing that legislation at the, the Senate and the House for a long time. It's fallen on deaf ears, unfortunately, to, to allow us to do that. But, you know, it's one of those things where the culture was just so prevalent here with, with cannabis growing, and it still is. So, you know, to, to ask the question of will the market take all the cannabis we produce? I mean, we're only, what produ- if it could? We're, we're only producing a fraction of what's being right. grown and consumed here. I would say 10%. Because you're saying the legacy market is still alive and well supplying the other, well, let's call it eighty percent, and twenty percent is made up of the eight licenses or something like. That. I think twenty. I think twenty percent is generous, but okay. um, yeah, I, I, legacy market is very very strong, um, and I think there's a bunch of in a, at, when they pass adult use. I mean, I'm really hoping that you know some of these like there, I mean, there's just generations of just really excellent cannabis cultivation here on the Big Island. I mean, we're, we are known for that in the whole world. I mean, there's a reason why people think that Hawaii has great cannabis and mm-hmm. it actually is from Big Island, but people don't really connect those dots, but the reality is most of it is from Big Island. Um, and so to answer your question, I think that, um, we can, when adult use happens, everything will be swallowed up right now. We could definitely be cultivating more cannabis. I mean, we're, we're limited, um, until we can kind of expand, but, uh, you know, we're getting, we're, we're getting there, you know, right yeah. now we're producing the perfect amount. Um, the equilibrium of, for what the market will bear right now in your it's, medical market. It's, it's, it's perfect, but you know, it, I, I like to be above, I'd be above that amount so that I could, mm-hmm. you know, start to prepare for more growth as it kind of happens, you know? Totally. Are the other seven operators thinking the same as you? Are they positioned the same as you or is your company in a unique position? You know, that's, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, we were one of the last licenses to open up and, um, I think the other licenses were, and in fact, I, you know, I've heard this from several of them. They, they were, they were shocked by the size of the building we were building. Um, because small or big, big, yeah, big. big. Okay. Yeah. They, 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 um, they were shocked because big Island again, is just a, a prevalent place of home growing and it's a really strong legacy market. Um, and we only have a fifth of the population of Oahu and we were building a bigger cultivation facility Whoa. than the guys on Oahu bigger. And it's, and it's interesting now because if you look at the stats, we're selling the most cannabis in the state of Hawaii. 
and we have a and you can ship between the islands right um we cannot ship between the islands so we're selling the most cannabis in hawaii with a fifth of the population with the largest legacy market and so when stuff starts to open we have people that actually travel they'll be on oahu or Kauai, and they'll, not not really Kauai, sorry oahu and maui and they'll essentially you know they'll travel to us for one day buy some Just ounces, pick up, yeah. buy, buy some concentrates, buy some ounces, and then fly back home on the same day um, because they can't get uh, the pricing and the quality of where they're from, you know, unfortunately. So I'm really, really, really excited to get our product uh, out on all the islands when it happens. Um, really pumped for that. That just does not make sense to me. Um, we'll, we'll get into politics um, uh, later uh, in this interview, but it just does not make sense to me that you can't sell to other other islands in the yeah. same state of I Hawaii. Mean, it's I just, mean, it's blasphemy. I, it is it is blasphemy, and I and I think um, we might be the only state um, that has a not only vertical model but a closed vertical model where yeah. we cannot wholesale. And so because of that, it's it's created a it's because because you can't wholesale and you're a vertical model. It's very different than a lot of licenses in the United States, right? We For have sure. we have to do everything. There isn't one product that you can name right now, um, except for like CO two extraction because we don't want to do it. But there isn't one product. <laughs> there isn't one type of, of product or extraction that we're not doing because we have to offer our patients a yeah. very diverse, you know, selection of products. I mean, we do tinctures, topicals. We do edibles, you know, all these different, you know, things, uh, you know, flour, every solventless, hydrocarbon. Uh, we're the only licensed hydrocarbon extraction company in the state of Hawaii right now. We have been for about a year. Um, so we do everything. Yeah, you have to be a renaissance company in that model. I mean, look at Cali. There's so many different types of licenses um, that it just promotes collaboration. Uh, strategic supply chain partnerships, but it's super interesting to compare that to what you guys have going on in Hawaii. It's it's way more efficient, right? I mean, you have one person specializing in. It's really tinctures. good at one thing. Yeah. Yeah. What? Oh. It makes so much more sense. I mean, that's how business should be done. I mean, yeah. it, we're, we're we're operating in the most challenging state. Um, I would say one of the most challenging states in the country right now. I mean, we can, we we you know just talk about bank accounts. I mean, we don't. We can't get a bank account. Okay, we, we're in the middle of the Pacific. We, there is no bank account option. All right, it doesn't exist. Um, so add that to the the, the restricted vertical license. Backyard banking. Uh, yeah, <laughs> restricted vertical license. No banking. Very very difficult uh, uh, compliance and 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 yeah, it's pretty pretty difficult business what a, to what run. What about but. what about the entire challenge of getting supplies? into your state and into your grow operation. I mean, it's not everything's gonna be manufactured on the big island, right? You need lights, you need media, you need you know everything to run your business, extraction equipment, packaging. Um, what do those challenges look like for an operator on the big island? So first of all, whatever we can, we can do locally, we do it. Um, you know, we, were, we basically wash our pots, for instance. You know, we're, we, don't, we don't buy any pots uh, where we're, we're washing our pots, reusing them every single time uh, for one, one example of many. But you're exactly correct. Being in Hawaii is not only challenging for the cannabis industry to do business, it's challenging for every business to do business because- uh, And to are, live, I would imagine. I mean, yeah. you just have so many things you can't get there. 
Yeah, I mean, actually, just you know, not to digress, but we have a one-day just they call it just in time uh, <laughs> f- uh, food delivery amount. So if the ships get stopped, like um, when COVID happened, the ships actually stopped for a second because when it was getting really gnarly, and we mm. almost ran out of food. We almost oh ran out of food. Gosh. So we have we have just you have to grow your own food. It, and, and you know, I actually also grow my own food. I grow my own, I grow, I have an organic USDA organic ginger farm, turmeric wow. farm, and I grow vegetables and good for and, you. And I, I've been, cause I, I've been doing that all my life. And, and mm-hmm. it's one of those things that's a little scary because of the just in time delivery, you know, ships stop and we're out of food over here. And unfortunately, and a really unfortunate fact is that Hawaii imports 85 to 90% of all food and energy that we consume. Wow. Yeah. That, that is incredible. I, I have not heard that stat before. It's a scary stat. And I think there's a push right now. There's like a renaissance and, a, and like a push for this, like going back to the roots of Hawaii. I mean, back mm-hmm. in the day, Hawaiians actually invented permaculture. You, if you heard about permaculture, they were really the ones that special, they really specialized. They had it down. When, when, back in the day in Hawaii, you'd have these divisions of land um, they call them ahupua'as, and they would be like from the mountain to the sea. And every ali'i or chief of that section of land would own, would have their ahupua'a, and they would own from the mountain to the sea on purpose. So that's how they divided all the land. So from river to river is what the land they would own. Um, not own, sorry, no one owned any land. That's the wrong word. They, no, no one owned land, but they would they would they would reside there with their community, that ali'i. Okay. Um, and the reason why they did it from mountain to sea is for permaculture purposes. They would have every type of environment all the way down. And it's amazing to see like the lo'is or like, you know, the basically the, the, uh, the wet taro, you know, mm-hmm. of taro or kalo. They, they grow in these lo'is, these, you know, ponds that come in. They have like the fish, fish catching ponds. And it's just amazing to see like, and I think we're getting, we're going back to those roots now in Hawaii, which is super cool. And there's like this push for you know, permaculture, sustainability, and really like changing this agenda of just-in-time delivery and uh, importing 85% to actually becoming self-sustainable. Because if we don't do it, it's, you know, it's eventually going to become a problem. We're not the only ones in the world that is are like that too, by the way. I mean, you can look at other cities where they have just-in-time, you know, very, very close. You know, mm-hmm. if they the, the stop, logistics stop, like the city's going to run out of food. There's so many people living in one place, you have all this stuff coming, kind of importing the city, obviously. So, but in Hawaii, it's a little more challenging to get that food there if something goes wrong because we don't, we can't just drive on a road. Like I can't just drive from California to New York. I mean, we're in the middle of the Pacific, and it's a pretty far boat ride. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like it's a pretty far, pretty far journey um, to get over there. So, and and what that has created is a super intelligent and adaptable community, right? You guys can learn to do things yourselves and uh, rely on your own supplies. Um, Maybe not everything, um, but it it sounds like uh, you have, you know, created a lot of opportunities for yourself because your back has been against the wall. Exactly, and and like going back to your question, you know, um, that that challenge of of bringing everything in is, is a challenge, you know, we have to plan out I mean, if you buy, if we buy something from, you know, if we buy some nutrients or we buy some, some cocoa, um, you know, going back to the other question, we'll talk about growing 
growing uh, strategies, but basically we're growing cocoa, um, it's hydro and clean root. That's what we're doing right now. And that's kind of our jam. Um, and it's worked really, really well, well for us, you know, especially with bringing these Hawaiian strains into that, that mm-hmm. mix. But we'll get to that in a second. In terms yeah. of bringing in supplies, you know, you're ordering cocoa and it's like three weeks, you know, you're, you're looking at three weeks, three to four weeks. So you got to plan everything out and like, that doesn't seem very difficult, but like when you start to think about like AC components or like, you know, dehumidifier or specialized parts. Exactly. And you know, um, we have to know way ahead of time and buy extra components for redundancy because we can get stuff air shipped, but you know, if if something's really heavy, I mean, one time we actually air shipped uh, quest 506s. Uh, and that was an expensive uh, airship bill. It's a heavy, heavy shipment. Yeah, is, we, is we a, work a lot with Quest, and we yeah. ship them all over the country and, and world. And yeah, that that's an expensive shipment right there. It was an expensive shipment, but it was super needed. We had uh, not, we didn't have one go down, um, but we just were in this this time. When we first, we didn't really realize the humidity levels in the room, and we just underspected yeah. just a little bit, and we just flew those in right away to not have any issues and. They saved the day. You know, we got them there quick, but that was a close call. But it's one of those things, man. It's very, very difficult to, to run a business in the middle of the Pacific. But I did learn a lot when I ran that um, tropical foliage business, my family business, when I was growing Dracaena. Um, that was, you know, very similar. You know, we were bringing in a lot of different stuff and, and shipping a lot of stuff out. And, and so I learned a lot about supply chain. And yeah, it's one of those things. You, you just get used to it and you kind of factor it into everything you do, but it's it's definitely at the forefront. Everything is more money. It's way more money to, to obviously cultivate. Um, and so whatever we can do locally, we're doing it. Yeah. Whatever we can recycle, we're doing it. So we're going to take our first break here, Dylan. And when we get back, we're going to talk about Maui Waui, Pineapple Express, and all the cultivars that you're growing at your company. Awesome. Thank you, Nick. Let's talk about Horticulture Lighting Group. Made in the USA, Horticulture Lighting Group manufactures high-efficiency LED grow lights for both commercial and home growers. Nestled in the foothills of the Smoky Mountains, HLG has been pushing the boundaries of LED lighting since 2016. With a focus on quality, HLG has helped growers maximize yields, improve harvest quality, and lower overall operating costs through their high-efficiency lamps, all delivered with stellar customer service. Horticultural Lighting Group provides real efficiency and real yields. Check them out at hlg.com. All right, Dylan, we are back from our first break, and I understand that you're vertically integrated. So how many licenses um, do you have a license per you know, retail, per producing? Is it just one license? How does that work? Yeah, it's just one license. So one license will allow you um, two production centers. Um, you have basically have 3,000 plants per uh, production center. And production center is a word they use in the law, which basically means everything. It's cultivation, you know, extraction, the whole entire processing. The whole thing has to happen in that one building. Um, we have okay. two, of those, two of those buildings, 3,000 plants each. Or if you're feeding a demographic that has enough card holders, you can apply for 5,000 plants, which we're able to do. So our one building right now um, has 5,000 plants. And then we're also you know, working on our second expansion, uh, second building and also going upstairs in our current building. Um, and that license, we have three dispensaries as well. 
And again, it's all vertical, so there's no there's no uh, horizontal licenses. So we do all the transport, we do all wow. the cultivation, we do all the extraction. You're truly 100% vertically integrated. 100%, yeah. Everything. Every product, yeah. everything is done uh, by our license. And even to double down on that, we can't buy anything from anyone else as well. So it just makes it that much more challenging. So. Yeah. And growing up, you know, uh, my dad being from Alaska and he had gone to Hawaii uh, several times, I always heard about Maui Waui, uh, uh, Thai stick as well. But um, when I heard of Maui Waui, I, I immediately associated that with this tropical cannabis community of Hawaii. Um, so have you ever grown that cultivar? Is that even still around? Can you get access to that? What does that look like uh, with you guys? I mean, I've heard of it. Um, I've had people tell me that that this is Maui Waui. I've had people, um, you know, let me try to join a Maui Waui, but I really don't know if it's the true cultivar that everyone speaks of. I mean, in Hawaii, we actually have more famous cultivars that aren't as like mainstream as Maui Waui or uh, Pineapple Express. Um, you know, and those strains are some strains like Kona Gold or Puna Butter or Kauai Electric, you know, um, out of Kauai and, you know, things like the Widow, the Big Island Widow, you know, there's just mm -hmm. these certain strains. Is that a White Widow cross? Yeah, it's a, it's a pre-98 Bubba cross with a White Widow and it's, uh, I believe it's Those White Widow. Those are two Widow. OGs right there. Yeah, I think it's White or Black Widow cross with pre-98, but it, it, um, it is the strain that I grew up cultivating actually and, and, and consuming. And it's one of those strains where I'm still trying to get like, it's, it's unfortunately started to veer a little bit genetically. So we're okay. tissue, we're tissue culturing it right now in the building and we're just trying, we're trying to get it back. But, um, it is one of those strains where it's so unique. Um, and I really want to get it back into the, uh, I want to get it back into patients hands here in Hawaii, but I also want to get that out to the mainland because it's one of those strains that are just like, it's so unique. I mean, it smells like it smells just so like rotten, like a like a trash dumpster, like as bad <laughs> as that smells. Like it's like a rotten smell, like a really, really Sounds rotten great. Smell. Yeah, exactly. Like dirty diapers, rotten <laughs> trash dumpster. Um, and it's uh, it, it, it's lime green. And it's just covered in trichomes. And you could like literally take a bud and just put it on the wall. It's just it's so sticky Whoa. and just so I mean, it, it is a very potent strain and uh, very unique. Never, still to this day, I've not seen any strain even close to as light. I mean, it's not even, nothing is similar. Um, and there might be, you know, that cross might not even be the real cross of it. I don't even know. I mean, that's what's said about it, but that's been around for a long time. But that Big Island Widow or Dirty Widow um, or, or Puna Widow, there's a few, few names for it, but that okay. that strain is is very, very special. The business. It is the business for sure. It's the business, um, and there's a few other strains like that. There, we have a little, there's a Lilikoi strain over here hmm. that um, has that like really sour tart Lilikoi taste to it, um, and there's just a bunch of really unique Hawaiian genetics that um, are really really special. And one of our main goals at Big Island Ground is to get those you know out into um, back into the hands of yeah patients and consumers. There's much more than Pineapple Express. There's much more than Pineapple Express. And I think um, when Hawaii starts to open up to the world, I think that we will, or, you know, we start seeing some federal legalization. 
I think that people are going to be pleasantly surprised with the uniqueness of the flavors that are coming out of this, off the islands, you know, outside totally. of Totally. So what is the true origin story of Pineapple Express? You know, I know it was popularized in the movie with Seth Rogen and his uh, buddies, but what what is Pineapple Express? Where did it come from? How did it get its name? What's the true origin? Uh, you know, I... <laughs> I don't know. I mean, to me, the first time I really heard of it was from the movie. I mean, okay. I, didn't, I didn't really hear of that strain too much um, beforehand, but it's definitely one of those strains that after that movie happened, I started seeing it a lot around Big Island. Um, and it, we actually grew that strain um, for a while, but the cut that we had of it um, would just start to sugar up. It had those, I don't know if you've seen this, where the glands start to secrete. And it was, yeah. started, it was starting to have that issue with it. Um, we just couldn't dial it in. I mean, we grew it for a while. It, it, it was good, but it was one of those strains where it was decent, but it wasn't like some of the strains we're going now, which are like too finicky to manage and too, just kind of threw off production. Exactly. And I mean, every state I mean, now, now the strains we have are like, you know, we have a really, really good mix of like exotics, um, exotic genetics to, to big Island genetics and mm. kind of all in between there and crosses of exotic to big Island genetics. So what type of exotics are you growing? You know, we're growing uh, a bunch of stuff from exotics, uh, genetics, uh, from Mike over there. Um, we uh -huh. have, you know, we got the gummy buns and uh, we got one of our most actually popular strains is Kimbo Kush. And okay. it's a tried and true. Um, it's one of those strains actually that we started from the very beginning with. And it's, just, it's turned out to just be like the number one Big Island grown genetic uh, that isn't from Big Island. Um, and it's one of those strains where it just yields super fat. It's going over three a light and always consistently testing over 30% and it's just super, super crip. Um, so that's one we're running. We're running a bunch of different stuff runs. Uh, we got like, uh, extreme cream from Mike as well. Uh, you know, we have a bunch of stuff from Swamp Boy Seeds. Nice. Um, a bunch of stuff from Swamp Boy Seeds. Um, and we got some DNA genetics, you know, Golden Lemons. We've been selling Golden Lemons recently. And that's been another, like, really big, like, new patient favorite. Just super citrusy. Um, mm -hmm. Really, really good strain to grow. A uh, bunch of different stuff like that, you know. That is a fire menu. I, it's no surprise why people are uh, flying over there to get their uh, pickup and then going back to their other island. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, 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 and it's really cool because we also have some, like, again, those like big island genetics. Like we have a strain called the corns, which is like okay. Molokai. It's like a cross of a Molokai hash plant. And it's got that really old school big island smell. And it's, I can't explain that to anyone unless like you come visit me. So I guess you're just going to have to come visit, but it's one of those things where it has like, we call it like a old school Hawaiian smell and, and it, it's really like unique huh. to Big Island and Decorns definitely has that. And we have a few other like really uh, cool strains that are definitely like unique to us that are special. Another one that we have is Dutch Treat. And you're, you're, I'm, I know you're thinking to yourself like, oh, Dutch Treat, everyone has that. Well, in Hawaii, we have this strain called Dutch Treat. Everyone calls it Dutch Treat, but it's really not Dutch Treat in the sense of the Amsterdam genetic. It's a, a really, really citrusy, almost like a lemon cleaner, like strong, strong chirping smell to it. Piney. And piney, just like pine salt. Like it smells like pine salt. Hits um, you in tastes, the face. Hits you right in the face. Um, <laughs> and uh, that's another one we got. Um, you know, that's a really good uh, Hawaii strain. Let me see if I'm 
missing anything here, but we have another strain called Pogsicle, um, which is why from Hawaiian Hairland Genetics, and um, that's another one where it's a. It's is a, that a Hawaii breeder? Yeah, it's a Hawaii breeder. So we have a bunch of stuff from Hawaii breeders. We got stuff from uh, Hawaii Hairland Genetics, and we have stuff from Cedar Hawaii. Uh, make, make are sure these new cats, or have they? Are they legendary breeders? Um, you know, they're no one's, no one's really like started selling seeds for you know until recently. But these guys aren't just like new guys off the block. They've been around for a long time. I mean, they're definitely OGs. But I'd say their seed companies are kind of new. Um, yeah, that is yeah. so cool that you're partnering with them and and bringing their genetics to everyone on the island. It's one of those things where like going back to being vertical. Like, and I, I would love to talk about this more because it's one of those things where you're, you're in this place where a legacy market is so um, prevalent and homegrown is so 80%. prevalent. 80%, that's huge. And that's, again, conservative, it's probably more. Um, yeah. And we wanna like give these growers, we wanna do everything we can do. I mean, at the end of the day, the law is the law and we can't buy their cannabis because that would be the best if we could go buy their cannabis and actually, yeah. I mean, that would be great, uh, but we can't do that. So wherever we can support, we do that. So like for instance- Like the collective model you're saying, if everyone can kind of, you know, contribute to a, a mutual collective and then patients can go and I mean, pick off a menu there's that's this, sourced from- There's extraordinary uh, families of home growers or even just doing like, mm. maybe not like a collective model, but like, when they roll adult use doing like micro licenses. So they're not yeah. like, they're, they're not a license that is like um, appetizing for an MSO because to come in, not, not and just nothing, scoop them all nothing up. against MSOs. Or but stack like, them. I mean, that, I've seen that happen as well. Exactly. So like you make them small enough and you word the law in a way where it allows for like families that are growing right now to become legal to sell to us, but it's also small enough to where it's not going to be appetizing for an MSO to come scoop up that license. And I think that mm -hmm. would be a good model as we roll into adult use. Um, I mean, there should be also larger uh, licenses as well, but I think really focusing on those you know, smaller micro cap licenses, because in Hawaii, we have so, like so many different little pockets of great cannabis cultivation and genetics and just generations of uh, great cannabis cultivation. So I think that'd be really, really good. So being patient driven, I'm sure you have some people uh, that visit your dispensary and maybe they can't smoke, you know, maybe they need an edible, maybe they need something like a tincture. Uh, talk to me about your menu when it comes to concentrates. Yeah. So concentrates, you know, we do everything from like every type of solventless, um, you know, we're doing bubble, we're doing, you know, high grade live rosin. Uh, we're doing every type of, delicious. yeah, every type of every strain that I just mentioned, you know, we have certain strains like Kimbo for instance, and also our, we have a strain called Maui girl, um, which is like a blueberry cross, um, from, I think it's 808 genetics. Um, anyways, it's Joey and he has this strain. He was one of his first strains he, he used to start his company, actually a seed company. And it is just amazing. I mean, it has this, it tastes like, um, and smells like blueberry gasoline, like blueberry diesel, you know? Like, Just what I want to drink in the morning. <laughs> uh, you want a cup of blueberry, like Maui yeah. Girl is great. So Maui Girl is not a local strain we have. It's a, it's a tried and true and it just dumps. Every yeah. time you put it in there. Just off know, the shelf. Boom. And, and we're, we're basically like, when we go solventless and we're doing that approach, we're taking it really seriously, right? We're, 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 we're keeping this thing, we're doing cold, 
cold, cold, cold, all the way through. We're, we're hand bucking, you know, into cold compartments. That's going in a wow. freezer right away. We're not disturbing that till we go to a wash. We're doing all hand paddling and it's little, you know, you know, just it's more mechanical. It adds up. It does. Uh, and just being as, as gentle as we can with those trichomes, um, the, more, the, the most gentle we can be um, so we can get a really high grade live rosin. And then from there, obviously we're doing, we're manipulating that consistency. You know, we're doing, you know, we're doing like THCA separations and all these different things. Excellent. Uh, on the solventless side, every type of consistency you could think of. We're also doing uh, live rosin carts. Um, you are, are cutting edge. I mean, yeah. this is this is the same exact setup that I'm seeing across rec states all over the the mainland. Um, um, for sure, and and that, you're and doing I, it. Uh, we're we're trying. We're trying to bring. We're trying to bring it. Um, we're trying to really show not only like why Hawaii grows the best cannabis, but why you know what's really bringing what's happening. All this new cutting tech, uh, you know, technology over to Hawaii and really letting our patients and our community really like experience that with Hawaiian genetics, with like that Hawaiian touch, you know? Um, so that's been really exciting, but that's solventless. Then we have, you know, hydrocarbon running ETS machine. Um, we're getting really, really cold temps. We have a HAL extraction booth. Um, again, we're the only licensed hydrocarbon extractor in the state of Hawaii. Um, so people fly over just for a hydrocarbon and we're doing every type of consistency for that with that. We're doing wax, Butters, crumbles, uh, diamonds, full kitchen, carts, everything. Um, What's the number one selling uh, product or skew off your concentrate menu? Uh, in terms of selling, would be our live our live resin carts. That would be our number one skew. Those are just yeah, crushing. Crush. They it used to be distillate cartridges, but obviously, you know, as it, it, actually with our distillate cartridges. We, you know, we, because we didn't have our hydrocarbon set up and we needed to get carts on the menu, we had, you know, we had our live rods and we, we, we also had, um, our distillate carts and with our distillate carts, you know, we, we basically decided from, you know, to make the highest quality distillate cart we could. Cause again, going back to vertical, we can't just go buy trim. We can't go buy distillates. So like we're using like every part of our plant that's, 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 uh, harvested it's going to be used for something. Um, I know that, you know, most cultivators are doing that in the country, but it's to an extent where we have to use it all. Like usually I know in some states, you don't have any other choice. We don't have any other choice. So like we're not selling our trim to an extraction company and they're doing the extraction. That would be great. Um, but you know, also not great at the same time. It's actually really great to, or excellent to just be able to really make all these different products out of our own strain strains and cultivars and, and really have that complete client or com complete quality control um, exactly. throughout the process, you know? So yeah, we also do distillate and we do uh, in-house steam distilled terpenes. So we're getting up close to hundred percent THC. We're doing fractional distillation, you know, a couple different passes. And what are uh, you not doing right now that you want to be doing? What's on the horizon? Uh, I mean, really high quality edibles would be on the horizon. Okay. And the only reason we're not doing that is because the Department of Health has not allowed us to. Um, so we're allowed to do another uh, regulation hold back. Exactly. Um, we're also not doing pre-rolls. We're not allowed to do pre-rolls. That's another one I really, really, really want to do. Not allowed to do pre-rolls, but you can sell flour. So they don't want to, they don't want to, um, the, because it's run through the Department of Health. They have a very strong stance on smoking. And so they don't want to do anything that promotes 
combustion, you know, smoking, inhalation. So as crazy as that sounds. Um, but you can still pick up like an ounce of flour. Yeah. No, we have a pretty good limit too. You can do eight ounces a month, four ounces every two weeks. And you can pick up an ounce or four ounces at a time if you came in. Um, so yeah. Like both flour and concentrates? Because that's what happened in Arizona is they didn't really have that well-defined. You know, you can pick up both and they basically okay. go off the, they go off the weight. So, you know, you can get mm-hmm. quite a bit more concentrate than you can flour. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they didn't so, catch on yet. <laughs> I, I, might, I might tell you to cut that one out. But. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I understand that you have a nearly 100% sustainable indoor grow operation. Um, so what are some of those components that make you fully sustainable that you're super proud of? Yeah, this is one part of the business that I'm really proud of. Um, I mean, first of all, we're sustainable with how we cultivate, you know, we're washing our pots, we're recycling, we take our cocoa outside, we haven't, we, we're starting a garden out there, you know, with all our dumped cocoa, you know, we're really like every kind of input we're trying to use as much as possible. But when it comes to uh, water, for instance, we're using 100% Mauna Kea spring water. We have a, a, a spring where the plantation, going back to the plantation again, you know, banana back days. Were, before banana days, actually. So oh, wow. this is like sugar, oh, sugar. sugar cane days. So this is, you know, back in the sugar cane days, they had these springs coming out of the ground. Um, and they also had these flumes. And so think of like a giant concrete water slide that comes from the mountain all the way down to the ocean. And that's Sounds these, incredible. It's, it doesn't, doesn't sound fun. Um, <laughs> Uh, there's still these remnant pieces of these sugarcane flumes and we have one that's about a mile and a half away. And again, going back to, uh, uh, Richard, when he had the banana farm, he used one of those flumes. Um, and why we pick, why I, you know, we're picked the site that we're in right now. We, that one of those flumes basically has a, has a, a pipe inlet that, you know, will will take in the water that's coming off the flume. And, uh, you know, it will go through this long, long pipe and then hit a turbine and then power hydroelectric and it's all private and it's, uh, it's not, there's not like a public utility on it. It's just all, I've never heard that powering a farm. It's, it's super cool. And I mean, back in the day, those flumes were for the sugarcane, right? They would basically harvest it in the field and they throw it in these water flumes, these sugarcane flumes, and it would go all the way down to the, 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 near the ocean. Um, and they would, you know, all these different little plantation towns, whether sugarcane flumes all up and down the coast, and they would take all that sugar from the flume and then bring it to the warehouse. They process it into molasses, and then they okay. they basically chain it out to a, a, a ship in the bay. So they like have these big reels of rope, and they, you know, rope huh. it all the way down to the the big ships, the big wooden ships, and that sugar would go to the to. Uh, the mainland, um, and uh, that would be the sugar of the United States, you know. So that was our biggest export this is for a long time. Pre high fructose corn syrup. This is pre fructose high <laughs> fructose corn syrup for sure, um, and, and that and that's uh, you know that allows us to get a pretty good uh, kilowatt um, hours on our usage. So that you know it's taken away a pretty good portion, and then we also have. Um, solar panels on our roof. So we have uh, just under 700 solar panels on our roof. You know, Hawaii, Hawaii is sunny, you know, 12 months out of the year. Um, there's really not a time where you're not going to get good solar production. It'll rain, you know, but you're still getting solar production during rain. So with the hydro 
and the solar, you know, we're powering a very, very large portion of our facility right now from 100% clean energy. Uh, and we're trying to use as little Helco as possible. And our goal really is to continue to get that number close to 100 as possible. And I think we'll eventually get there. Um, and again, you know, one of the reasons why we want to get there too and we're motivated is that Hawaii, specifically Big Island, has the highest electrical rates in the country. We have, Our electrical rates for residential is 42 cents a kilowatt hour. So, what What is a typical benchmark that we could compare that with? Uh, I know you guys are over, on, you know, in like California and places are like more like six, seven, eight, nine cents. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're like 30 to 40 and it's like, it's, it's crazy. Um, even if you get a large scale producer and you get that, a times the scale, but give you a little bit of a rate break, but you're still like 33 cents. Another great reason why you have been forced to be scrappy and agile and smarter on how you use your resources. Everything's more expensive. Everything takes longer to get here. I'll give you one more too. In Hawaii, yeah. going back to the regulation and how restrictive it is here, you have to have a FBI background check to come into our building. So when you come over for Canacrips, hopefully you don't have any. All right, we're all gonna <laughs> fail that. You did not tell me that. We can no longer go film. Oh, so shout you gotta, out to uh, shout out to someone on our team. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, um, so so that that includes everyone. That's like even like an HVAC repair guy. So like if you if your wow. HVAC system goes down. Um, you know, you're our host because to, to get the background check procedure done in time to be compliant, it takes like two or three weeks. You got to go fingerprint. It's a whole thing. So like you can't even come in our building unless you've done that. And so that forced us again to build our building in a way, you know, where we can fix everything. Like we literally can fix every piece of equipment in that building. We don't use a central air conditioning, uh, system. We use one-to-one mini splits for redundancy and also for the ability for us to fix it. And we can't depend on anyone to come save us ever. Which is which is really um, where the entire homegrown movement came from, right? Exactly. You're growing at home. You can't just hire an HVAC contractor to come, you know, fix your dehue in your master bedroom, right? You had to totally. learn to do it all. Um, so that's that's awesome that you are sticking to your roots. Uh, what about when it comes to precision agriculture? Let's talk about the irrigation. What media? Uh, you said that you're using cocoa. Maybe the lights that you're using. Um, teach me how you are more sustainable um, than the majority of growers, you know, in uh, in Hawaii, but also in the country and mainland. Yeah, so we're we're doing precision ag. You know, we're in terms of like our our irrigation setup. Um, you know, we're doing. Uh, we have a, a fertigation system in line. Um, one thing that we do with our spring water, we're bringing in, we're using Hyperlogic to clean okay. our already clean spring water. We could probably just Double use, filtration. I mean, we could guarantee just use the spring as is, but you know, with cannabis, we wanna obviously eliminate every potential factor mm-hmm. that, you know, that's, that's possible. Um, and so we want, every type of stress that we wanna put on the plant is because we wanna put it on the plant, not because of an external factor that we can't control. So going to our water, you know, that's the same thing. We're, we're, we're filtering our water. We're doing a reverse osmosis with Hypologic. We're putting it into a large uh, 1000 gallon uh, containers inside of our building. We're getting that water cool to a, a constant temperature before it goes in our rooms. Um, and then we're inline feet, inline injecting with our fertigation system. Um, and that's basically going to every room. We can control how we feed every single bench. We have a solenoid on every single bench. 
Um, and we can really just be very precise. We're not wasting any water. We have very, very little runoff to no runoff. Um, Cause we're just feeding just what the plant needs at the right time. And then in terms of inside of our rooms, you know, I had always grown up using HPS lights and okay. they're not the most efficient. And, you know, now, you know, when we expand upstairs, we're going to go LEDs and I'm doing a bunch of R and D trials on that. I'm really excited for MJ BizCon actually to see what the newest tech is out there. Um, but we're going to switch over to LEDs, but right now we're using uh, Dimlux HPS. So the most cool. efficient and, you know, highest grade HPS that was on the market when we designed our rooms, we can overclock them, you know, and they have the sunrise and sunset feature. Um, and so that's, that allows us to, you know, really, you know, dial in that room and, and, you know, we get a really good yield from that, but obviously it's not the most efficient in terms of energy. So we'll switch those out eventually. Uh, but for right now, they're working really, really good. And then another thing that we do that's a little different is we know, again, we wash all of our pots and we don't do any transplanting. So we clone directly, okay. we do clone directly into cocoa. Um, and from that clone and cocoa, which is like a three quarter, um, we're going on top of a, a two gallon, uh, kind of rose bucket type pot with uh, perlite and cocoa. So we're going straight cocoa, direct clone. Uh, we do it like a, I call it supercharging, but basically just getting that, that cocoa wet and giving it some mm -hmm. uh, amendments before you actually clone into it. We'll let that sit there for two weeks before we even feed it uh, underneath some little T5. Pre -game. Little pregame. Little pregame, uh, underneath some T5 uh, LED bulbs. We'll do like an offset red-blue bulb on okay. our T5s. And we'll just slowly work in our light because we're because we're going directly into cocoa. We have to be really really gentle. Um, yeah. We don't want to we don't want to make a mistake there. But we have like a ninety nine point you know something. It's ninety nine plus uh, success rate with that method. And and because that we have a the way we design our pot system is we have a sleeve on that three quarter gallon pot. So when that clone's ready, um, at that point it's about three weeks in. We actually save about two weeks on the cloning method by doing this. We pull a pot off, and because of our size, our ability, and the, the plant count and everything, that's really, really helpful. Pull that pot off, that sleeve off that pot, and that's going to go. It has a the bottom's been cut out of the pot, and so you're basically just taking that pot and putting it right on hmm. a two gallon pot and flour, and uh, off to the races. You know, flour right away. What type of newts are you running? Uh, you know, we're running front row ag, and uh, you know, we're doing a bunch of different uh, uh, enzymes and microbials beneficials. Uh, into okay. the mix, but it depends on veg and flour, like in flour running front row ag though. Yes. Okay. And, 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 and some different items too that we, we, we add to that, that uh, still salt recipe. Yeah. And what's your IPM uh, lineup look like these days? So, you know, it all starts with the, uh, the crew that's coming in the building. And so we're, we're very clean room oriented. Um, we take showers actually when we come in. So first thing you do is you come in, we have a man trap, you're taking your street shoes off, you're getting your, your clean room shoes, um, and we're spraying that down with zero tall. Um, and we're basically coming into the lobby and then we're going into showers. We provide everyone with clean scrubs. And when you're inside the building, you know, super clean, super clean, no streetwear. Um, and even if you go on lunch break outside, you're coming back and taking a shower again. So it starts there with IPM. Um, and then from there, you know, it's really about just, uh, you know, we, we definitely, you know, have some fungus gnats a little bit here and there just because of, okay. you know, we grow with cocoa. Um, mm -hmm. But we've never had a, any, Part any issues. We never had any issue, knock on wood, with anything besides that um, and all the time growing. And because we, we really grow such clean, you know, clean room and we really are focused on the, I mean, 
IPM extremely preventative. I mean, it all comes down to environmentals with this plant, right? If you keep the plant healthy, it's going to fight off everything. Um, and that's really been our, you know, exactly right. That's the strategy. Just like us as humans. Exactly. You know, take care of yourself a little bit every day and, uh, your immune system is going to be higher. So basically, you know, if you, br if you don't bring anything in and you keep it clean inside the building and you keep those environmentals on point, you keep that vapor pressure deficit on point throughout the cycle and, uh, you clean your rooms, um, and you, you, you keep your plants super healthy. You're not going to have any issues at least. For us, that's really worked well. We've never sprayed an you know, insecticide, a pesticide, or we've never sprayed anything in our building that's the entire huge. time. We've, we've been cultivating, not one thing. There are so. not a lot of growers that can say that. That is huge. Um, and especially, you know, given the environment that you're growing in that could, uh, you know, bring on a lot more pests and diseases and, you know, PM and stuff like that, um, given your, your tropical environment. And leading into the next, uh, you know, uh, microbial lab that you actually have set up in-house. Um, I have not seen that. That is not very common on top of tissue culture and other awesome stuff you're doing. So was that lab part of the regulations of setting up a license in Hawaii, or is that just something that you wanted to do as extra measure? It, it actually all came when we first started cultivating and we started to realize how difficult it would be to pass testing on some cultivars that we really, really love. I mean, some cultivars are just you know, like Kimbo Kush, for instance, it's just so resistant to anything. And we're not talking about anything that's visible here. We're talking about usage mold count that's invisible, um, that is around, you know, 15,000, 10,000, 20,000 count. Um, really, really low, but you know, it, it's one of those things where we didn't want to, we we're just looking at ways in which we could grow really clean cannabis. And, you know, it's one of those things where you, you think you're doing something, but until you actually like, are testing that theory in real time, you really have no idea how well that's working. And that's really where micro the microbial lab became about. Like that's how it started really. It was because we wanted to see with our theories that we're having, I mean, no one, no one prepares you for, I mean, growing cannabis and no one prepares you for testing. So Wild Wild West. So Wild Wild West in Hawaii, we have the strictest lab testing requirements in the country, I believe. Stricter than Massachusetts? Matt, tell me Massachusetts uh, restrictions. I just know they're, yeah, I don't know off the top of my head, but I just remember, uh, I think one of the first blog articles I wrote, you know, five years ago when I started Gurus Network was on how strict it was to grow in Massachusetts and their heavy metal testing and everything. Um, I know Oregon and Massachusetts, those were kind of uh, the top two states and then Washington came on board. Um, but I have not looked into Hawaii. How, how strict is it? So, you know, like, first of all, we copied a lot of stuff from Oregon. So we have okay. that pest, we have that pesticide list. Not that it matters for us. We don't use anything, but that was copied over. We have heavy metals, you know, really sensitive heavy metals. We have the microbial yeast and mold, um, ten thousand count, uh, aspergillus, and some of these other more dangerous mold one count. Mm -hmm. And that one count could be a dead, a dead uh, spore. By the way, that one could be picked up on the test. Um, and then you have you know you have potency obviously, and then mycotoxins. In Hawaii, you know, we're, we're dealing with the subtropics there, you know, you can go to a supermarket and swab an apple and it's going to fail testing every single time of the week. There's not one thing I think that we probably consume here that wouldn't fail testing. Um, at least just the given where you're growing. Yeah. And, and, and just like, just the fact of like, 
Exactly. And, and the fact of how difficult I think the lab testing requirements are. And maybe, maybe there's a secret that other states know about that I don't, but it's been, you know, doing There's the some right cool thing. technology coming out, but I don't know if there's any secrets. There's just secret weapons. <laughs> yeah, secret weapons. I mean, it's one of those things where, you know, we were growing clean from the beginning, but there was definitely some cultivars that were special that would just have a little bit of issues with that yeast and mold count. And and really what it came down to is, okay, we need to get this at bay. Let's figure out what's going on here. And we wanted to test our theories um, and see if what we were doing was working in real time. What that basically allowed us to do, you know, this microbial lab setup, you know, we do our own plating essentially. And and what Mm. we do is we'll plate cannabis when it comes into the drying rooms. We'll plate it in the grow room. We'll plate it at different times, but Based upon that plating, we can really tell like right away if a, if a cannabis plant's like having an issue and we can rule out factors like trim or processing or, t- you know, time and, you know, a curing and all these different things. So it allows us to really see like where the microbial growth takes place in the process um, and allows us to really dial that in and hone in on that and really, you know, be able to try different things and figure out what works and what doesn't work. And it's allowed us to like get to a, a point where we're testing hundred percent. So now we just we wow. pass every test and, and it's not like a, a problem for us anymore, but like this is the first year we're open, you know, we're trying to figure stuff out. You know, we got, you know, it's, it's one of those times, like it was just, it was, you know, I never, I never grown more than a hundred plants before. And then all of a sudden I'm growing thousands and it's, it's, uh, it was it was a it was a very steep learning experience and I loved every second of it, but the testing part was definitely one of the most challenging parts of what was going on because we were growing right. a- excellent cannabis. I mean, super crip, no issues at all, and then it would swap you know you'd swab it and it would be like twelve thousand count. You failed. For, mm. It's just crazy. It's it's so sensitive. Um, I think unnecessarily sensitive. Yeah. Uh, because again, in Hawaii, we don't distinguish good microbials and bad microbials so just it's all it's yeah. all it's just a jet in general yeah well i commend you for going above and beyond um and having that in-house lab um and going the extra mile i mean there's a lot of operators out there um, that cannot say the same and honestly you know big picture uh when the borders are dropped down so to speak and hawaii can be producing and exporting for the world um you're going to be ahead of the game um, people are going to want your product, need your product, um, because you have already passed so many and jumped over so many hurdles, right? Um, to get to a, a playing field that no one else is at, um, where very few operators are at. Um, and I understand scale and I understand you have future phases of build out and, and the challenges that come with that, but super commendable, uh, for sure. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's been, uh, it's been fun. If I didn't yeah. love it so much, I would have, you know, would have given you up. You want to be times. in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. It's, it's, it's definitely I, hard, you know. Everyone yeah. thinks everyone thinks it's easier. The, the, the grass is greener, you know. Yeah, the no grass pun, is greener where you water it. <laughs> no, no pun intended, yeah, exactly. We're, we're going to take our final break, Dylan. When we get back, we're going to go into the wonderful topic of politics and Hawaii cannabis. Oh, lovely. Sounds great. Hey there. Let's talk a little more about Horticultural Lighting Group. I already told you about their high quality lamps and stellar customer service, but hey, don't take my word for it. Check out some of these testimonials from real growers just like you. Best canopy I've grown yet. The customer service is excellent. The customer service is second to none. I love these lights. 
amazing lights, and amazing people. Horticultural Lighting Group provides real efficiency and real yields. So, whether you're looking for a lighting solution for a commercial operation or a small home grow, do yourself a favor and check out Horticulture Lighting Group at hlg.com, and I'll also include a link in the description below. All right, we're back from our final break, Dylan, and I really want to know what's really going on with the politics in Hawaii. Um, ever since I've heard of Hawaiian cannabis, it's been such an iconic state and place of some of the best weed in the world that we've already talked about. So, and it's a, I would say, a fairly liberal, democratic state. Um, so it's it's very perplexing to me why it's still a medical state. There's only eight grow operations. What's going on behind the scenes that I don't see? Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. Um, you know, we were the first state in the country to um, pass a medical law through our legislature, um, and we don't have public uh, ballot initiatives here. Okay. So we don't pass laws by, you know, popular vote. Um, we vote in our politicians and then they, you know, through their committees, uh, basically enact laws in Hawaii. So that's the way <laughs> it works. And and because of that, uh, you know, we have a, uh, we have different levels where a bill can be struck down. And that includes the governor and the governor can veto any bill. Um, and it's a lot of power. It's a lot of power, um, for sure. I mean, they can they can call, I believe, call it a session after that and try and, but they don't want to mess with that because you know if you're, it's it's Hawaii's a really small community. I mean, everyone, everyone knows each other. Everyone knows each other. Yeah, I mean, tight knit. Yeah. It's very very tight knit, and um, and politicians have been in, in power for a really long time, and you kind of see the same faces over and over again getting reelected, um, and. The governor came out and basically, you know, he's taken a stance that, and this is Governor Ige, has taken a stance that he um, is not for adult use. And because of that stance, um, and I, you know, I can't, I don't really know why, I can't get into much detail on why he's taken that stance other than the fact that he has. Um, and because of that, um, no one wants to attempt to even try. I mean, you'll see a recreational bill, adult use bill go in front of the ledge um, and it'll make it a little ways and then it'll just get killed. And it's just like, it tap, it's happened like four years in a row. And I think at, at this point, you know, no one really wants to put in the effort to really do a full campaign to actually get this thing done. Um, even though by popular opinion, by, you know, it's way in support, you know, everyone in Hawaii by far, it's a landslide, a landslide, 70%. I think more than that. I think it's, 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 Whoa. you know, we're a very, uh, democratic state, like you said, and um, it's a very progressive state, and for a lot of different reasons. And and cannabis is it's it's very it, it has a very high approval rating. Um, so, so it comes down to one person. Yeah, one person holding this back. When did he get elected, and when is his term out? Yeah, he, he's on his second term, and he's done in twenty twenty two. So only one couple more of months away. <laughs> Uh, oh, end, end of 2022. End of, end of 22. Okay. So a little over a year away, and and then there'll be a new governor that comes in uh, in January of 2023. And Any I'll, front runners that you know of that are pro-cannabis? Um, you know, I think everyone that I've heard of running right now, in my opinion, is probably going to... to I, I'm actually not even that worried about who 
gets elected in terms of cannabis. I just feel like the the opinion um, of the constituents of whoever's elected, right? Like the opinion of who's in who's on the Senate and the House and their um, constituents, their the people in their communities is overwhelming in support of adult use that I'm not even worried that whoever's elected is not going to pass it. I, I just feel like it, they're going to have to. Um, in order to get elected. Exactly. I think it's probably going to be part like of their campaign. Their however. stance, whether it's a yes or no, it will come up in kind of the the meetings and conversations with the public beforehand. I mean, and if it's a no, you don't think they're going to get elected. Exactly. I mean, we just went through, you know, the COVID crisis like everyone and we're still in it by the way. I mean, still it, in it. It's still going. I mean, I surprised. I mean, I, I threw a bunch of masks away. I was like, "See you later." And then I realized that Delta came back and now I got masks. It's it's uh but in Hawaii, you know, we you know, we we had a really strict uh, you know, stance on COVID. And we are a tourism economy. I mean, unfortunately or fortunately, that's the way the economy rolls here. And it's the largest part of our economy here is tourism. Um, no surprise here. Um, and because of that, you know, when, when COVID happened, it like really opened up everyone's mind in leadership, like, oh, and everyone, you know, in the community, like, uh-oh, tourists stopped coming in. We're kind of like, we don't really have like, how do we diversify? We need to be diversified. Exactly. And I think that's really going to push cannabis even more. And I mean, um, you know, at our company, one of our main missions is, and it's actually in our mission statement, it's like to create this agricultural renaissance of farmers. Mm-hmm. And it's not just about cannabis. It's for us. I mean, cannabis is first, but there's also, it's about creating sustainability in the community it's the connection. and it's about normalizing all plant medicines and that's mm-hmm. a really important part of our mission and i think that when this next governor you know runs for governor uh potential governor is going to run i think that that's going to be a big part of his campaign i think i think it's going to happen so i i i think it's pretty confidently confident to say that we're going to have adult use in 2023 so let's say this candidate does get elected they're pro-cannabis 2023 uh, rolls around and now it's recreational in Hawaii. What would you like that to look like? What are some of the regulations you'd like lifted? What are some of the regulations that you think should stay in place that are good for business and good for cannabis? Great question. Um, And it's a question that I'm often talking about with my partners, um, especially Jacqueline. And it's one of these things where, you know, you've, we've seen the goods and the bads from all the other states. And I think that it's, it's really about recognizing what works and what doesn't work. Um, but what I really want to see is I want to see a program that really focuses on Hawaii. I, I don't want to see, and hopefully this doesn't come out the wrong, the wrong way, but I really don't want to see MSOs coming in and just annihilating the industry over That's here. That's fair. Um, not, I have nothing against them, but Hawaii is Hawaii. And if we want to be true to cannabis in Hawaii, we need people that are from the culture to be running these licenses, period. Um, and so, so what part I want, of the application process, someone would have to prove residency, time in Hawaii. Yeah, I think the residency should be a requirement. Um, um, maybe, maybe, maybe not, maybe. I, I don't know exactly the way to do it, but I think you're going back to that previous, you know, idea that I was talking about earlier about the micro licenses, you know, these, these smaller licenses where, you know, these generate, you know, these small families 
that have been growing cannabis, great cannabis for generations can really obtain a license, like an attainable license, not something that costs $1.2 million. I mean, I got lucky, but it was very, very hard um, to get one of these licenses. And, and, I, and I don't think it should be that challenging, first of all. Um, I Where, think, where's that spectrum, though? Because look at Oklahoma, for example. It's too far. Anyone and their cousin can get a license and operate out of their garage. I mean, not literally, but it's very, very easy to get a license in Oklahoma. Where's your threshold? Are there other state? Oregon, they had uh, you know, their own artificial bottleneck because they had too many licenses and not enough testing licenses, right? Yep. So product was sitting on the shelf and was unsellable. So where's that threshold? What's a, what's a healthy amount of licenses um, that you think uh, and, and dollar amount to get those licenses? That's a really good question. Um, I don't know the exact number, but I know that Oklahoma- And do you want to be the future governor of Hawaii? <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, uh, no, I do not want to be a politician uh, ever. Actually, that's <laughs> not not high on the the want list. Um, no, I I don't know the answer, Nick. Um, I would say, you know, not Oklahoma, but but also not you know New York. So I I don't know where not Hawaii right now. I think that there should be tiered licenses. Um, I think there should be a lot more licenses handed out to smaller growers, craft growers. Uh, there should be some horizontalness to the licenses. It shouldn't be vertical. They should, we should have you know licenses for people that specialize in you know edibles and, and kitchen and uh, you know have commercial kitchens and the things necessary to actually make high quality edibles using Hawaii ingredients, which I think is going to be super cool and it's something mm. that we, we didn't really talk about on the the podcast, but I. I it's something that we're really pushing for right now as well. I mean, we're actually working Locally on- sourced ingredients for yeah. your edible line. Yeah, actually, I'll just give a shout out. You know, right now I have the team working uh, behind the scenes, Drew and, and, and Dr. Craig over in the lab. Uh, they're working really, really hard and Cody and Jacqueline, we're all working really hard on basically creating um, a Hawaiian grown edible that could be sold um, on the mainland of the continental United States right now. So what we're, our goal here is to create, um, basically to do something similar to what other licenses are doing uh, in the country, in the, in the industry, where they'll basically give you the SOPs, give you the formulations. We wanna take that one step further. We wanna actually make, cause we're not allowed to ship cannabis over state lines, obviously, but we wanna start to yeah. expand outside of Hawaii now by really creating a product that is true to Hawaii by creating a, sending uh, sourced Hawaiian grown, you know, hopefully all organic ingredients to these manufacturers uh, in California and Nevada and all these different places okay. to make a Hawaiian grown gummy. That's really interesting. Yeah. And that's, oh where, my gosh, that's what I was thinking. Like a Hawaiian yeah. punch with that blueberry cultivar gummy. Oh, it's um, okay. So we have, oof. so we have this gummy right now. Um, we call it a soft lozenge because it has to be called a lozenge. We're not allowed to sell edibles right now, so it's a soft lozenge, but it's it's really a gummy. Um, of course not. It's really a gummy, and uh, you know it's 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 a uh, it's a passion fruit uh, uh, turmeric gummy, and it's amazing. Um, and and, and what we call that Hawaiian um, is uh, we call Olena and Lilikoi. Um, so it's Olena Lilikoi, but if you're not from Hawaii, you call it a passion fruit uh, uh, turmeric. And that gummy is amazing. It's it's like the most tastiest uh, gummy you've ever tried. Mm. And so we're sourcing all these- And healthy. Super healthy. 
And I want to take like recipes like that and get them over, you know, to these other dispensaries um, outside of Hawaii. I'm just really trying to to give other farmers a shot and other people that are from our community a shot with being involved in the industry. So to go back to answer your question, I mean, right now, I'm just doing everything I can. We're doing everything we can to, to bring other stakeholders into the industry because it's so controlled. I mean, I'll give you an example. We do a, a, a series called uh, uh, Cultivating Art. And what we do is we, we reach out to all the artists in our community. We do a con, we basically reach out to them we're doing a contest right now for Kimbo Kush, but we reach out to these artists. We'll, we'll give them a, a, a payment, pretty good payment to design a artistic rend, re, uh, rendering of our cultivar. So we'll say, okay, do this, uh, do this art piece of golden lemons. And I'll show you some later. That's pr- yeah. amazing. We'll put this. in this episode as B-roll. It's, a, it's amazing. Um, and, and, and so they'll basically create this, this print. We'll, drop the print with the strain people will line up outside of the dispensary get the strain we only do 60 pieces that are dropped and once that's gone you have to collect you have to be at the dispensary to get them um and then we'll give some of those pieces to that to that artist they'll promote we'll promote them as an artist they'll promote us they'll get paid for their work they'll be able we'll be able to sell merch it's it's like a total win because you're bringing bring them in. and we also do that with um also our our spotify playlist so at every store, we, we you have a have, Spotify playlist. We have a Spotlight playlist. So at every store, we we have a local musician, basically create a, a, a playlist on Spotify of all their favorite like Big Island, you know, themed cannabis culture tracks, and we'll wow. play that at all dispensaries. So every dispensary is playing the same playlist, and every like month or two, we'll feature that artist about their you know their playlist and. And, and it's really, it's just all these different things just to bring the community into it. Yeah. And so going back to your question, like, where do I, what do I want in terms of the amount of licenses? I want people involved that want to be involved. I mean, mm-hmm. I want people to be able to create a business off of their passion. And there's so many people that are passionate about this plant in Hawaii. And it's, it's just deeply rooted, um, no pun intended, in our, in our culture, in our, mm-hmm. you know, in our in everything we do on the Big Island in Hawaii, so our ethos in our, our ethos, exactly. So, yeah. So for the future politicians in however many years, let's call it 2023, a couple of years from now, when they listen back to this interview or a snippet from this interview, what do you want to tell them? When they are sworn in as the new governor, the new committee that's tasked with creating cannabis uh, legalization or rec, uh, making a rec market or adult use market for Hawaii. What are some words of wisdom you want to share with them? Uh, it's a re- really, really good question. I haven't thought about that before until now, but I think I'd want to look them in the eyes and tell them that you have one shot and we are falling behind and we have fell behind and um, we have something really special here. We cultivate some of the highest grade cannabis in the world. Um, we will be an export economy if we play our cards right. We could not make the same mistake we made with hemp, which was a really slow rollout, and it just got we just got it's too late already. It's just we can't make that same mistake which we're making right now. And I, I look to you to pass laws that allow our community and these legacy growers and these families to get involved in the industry and really push uh, what they're what their what the great work they've been doing push that out into the public and allow them to really experience all these different amazing cultivation um 
practices and its cultivars and, and all these different generations of growing has provided. I look to you to basically open up these laws to allow for more people to be involved so that people understand that Hawaii grows the best cannabis in the world, that we can grow the best cannabis in the world, and we do, and we have. Mm, well said. We're going to have to clip that out and send it to them. <laughs> <laughs> so going into the future of cannabis in general, um, let's talk about the United States, um, including Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> the mainland, Hawaii, and Alaska. So will the feds ever legalize cannabis in your opinion is that in our near future five to ten years or is this just a kind of a dream uh absolutely they will they have no choice um when people become smart and realize that we've been lied to it's only a matter of time i mean we have a plant that is literally uh made for our body i mean we we need to ingest cannabinoids to really have reach homeostasis to reach a balance it's part of our you know dna and when people actually start to figure that out because not too people know that you know that's another thing it's like spreading that word to people that endocannabinoid system we were created with as humans with receptors all over our bodies to receive the benefit of this plant and it doesn't need to be about getting high it doesn't need about the psychotropic effects it needs to be about consuming that as a nutritional balance mm-hmm. right for our bodies and if we can get that out and like you know the the the, the people that are don't want to get you know stoned are now eating cannabis and ingesting multivitamins in the morning exactly like with your fish oil exactly so i think that it's inevitable to, your, to go back to your question um it's going to happen when is it going to happen i mean shit i thought i it should have already happened so i don't know the answer to that i mean it's cra- i agree with that it's crazy it's it's crazy how long it's taken I mean, we're, we're in it, right? You and I are in this and people that listen to this podcast are in it too. And we're in our own little like bubbles of, Microcosm, uh, yeah. you know, you know we're, 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 we, we see what's going on. And I think people on the outside of our little bubbles are starting to see like what's happening and, and it's starting to become more mainstream, but you know, education as it progresses and more people learn about the ECS and learn about different, you know, uh, different systems in our bodies and how cannabis is helping so many people, I think it's inevitable and, and it's going to happen. I, I really, I think it, if I had to put a guess on it, I think like, I think we're probably about five years away. That would be my guess. I've been here in five years for five years, but I agree with you. I've been here in five <laughs> years for like 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I definitely agree with you. I'm right there with you. And I want access to this plant worldwide. What, what is our number one challenge from keeping that from a reality? Oh, man, a uh, quick side story because I think it's interesting. Uh, when I was 16, I went to Japan. you got to remember Hawaii is like in the middle of the Pacific. And so for me to fly to Japan is almost the same distance for me to fly to you right now. In fact, I think I could fly to Japan sooner than visit you in Arizona. Actually, we're, we're much closer. I'm in Guadalajara, Jalisco, Mexico. Oh, okay. Never mind. Maybe. So, maybe I, yeah, I should jump over to you real quick. <laughs> you should. Um, well, you know, that, like, so because it's so close, I always travel to, like, Asia, Japan growing up. And mm-hmm. I remember when I was 16, I, I bought a, I, it's so illegal in Japan. So illegal. I mean, it's like, you know, you are in a, uh, if you consume cannabis in Japan, like, it's a problem. I remember I bought a gram for $100 when I was 16. One no. Time. Yeah. 
And I smoked that gram. That's a legendary street price Dude, right there. I smoked that gram down. I mean, I made that gram last like a, a week and a half between like two people, dude. It was <laughs> like, crumbs. it was just like, I was like just taking little it snappers. Yeah, it's little snaps, you know? Yeah, yeah. it was good. Um, Rationing it off. So, so back to your question, like, uh, what was your question again? I got totally lost in yeah. my story. I love it. I love that story. I mean, these are the the real stories and experiences that people around the world need to listen to. But what is our greatest challenge right now around the world for allowing cannabis to be accessible, legal, decriminalized, you know, whatever that category looks like? How do we get access to the plant worldwide? And yeah, what's the number one challenge? I mean, I, it goes back to the previous question that you, you, you asked, and that becomes federal legalization in the United States. Everyone's going to follow in our footsteps. That's we the actually, domino. It's the domino because you know if you look at all these people look look to us for a lot of different things, right? I mean, we for good and for bad, and um, we we are we do lead the world um, in a lot of different aspects. And I think once you know countries <clears throat> see us actually legalize cannabis on a federal level, they're going to all of a sudden be like, okay maybe we should take a harder look at this. I mean, I, I know the UN has passed these, recently passed this stuff, and that's huge. Um, it's inevitable, but I, I would say that is the domino. It's the US federal legalizing, and then from there, um, I think people are gonna realize, you know, uh, more, obviously education, the more education that happens, yes. um, we spread that knowledge. Um, we spread the, the knowledge of how we've been misinformed for this long, and. How this, uh, how it's been stigmatized for the wrong reasons, and and we just keep spreading that knowledge and, and educate the world. I think it's it's inevitable and it's going to happen. But again, first and foremost, we got to take that leap and we got to legalize. Yes. Yeah, and going back to the beginning of our conversation about your business partner that had the banana uh, farm, and you know one of his, uh, you know. Uh, kind of tipping points for him personally was someone close that he admired had a child with epilepsy and he was able to see firsthand the power of this plant for this child and what that could do in that one little direct connection if we could educate more people around the world in their language in their home in their country um, these same exact scenarios, I think we're going to get that uh, kind of chain reaction much quicker. And it comes down to awareness and education, um, shining a light on how this plant is healing um, and what it can do for our communities around the world. Because I don't want people to fly to the United States like people fly to your island just to get medicine. I want it to happen in their own country. Absolutely. You know, I feel like that would be selfish for us to hoard you know the the best medicine in the world no we need to educate people to grow in their own country and empower them through the product and the knowledge and you know how to ingest this um for their own good absolutely and um it, again education is the key you know every person that i've met that had their mind changed all came down to uh consistent education over time um, yeah. and, and I can think of people that little I know. touch points here and little there. touch points, not like a, Hey, you need to hear about the endocannabinoid system. Let me, let me, let me tell you about this. Let me tell you about that. Like it's all been with like little touch points. And then, you know, cause, cause when you hear, I mean, let's be honest, when you hear about cannabis and you, you learn about the endocannabinoid system, you learn about the history of cannabis, 
5,000 years, all this. It, it almost seems like, okay, this is, this is a little, this is a little crazy. You know what I mean? Like it's a little too, what are you doing here, guys? <laughs> it's, a, it's a little too far fetched to be this like locked into our genome, to yeah. our history. And I think that it's, it's once people actually under realize that it's not uh, bullshit, then I think, um, and they could get that, you know, small, but consistent, uh, proper knowledge and education. Then I think it's, it's going to happen. It will happen. Yeah. Anyone with, I mean, any, any person with a brain is going to figure it out pretty quick, you know? Yeah. And nothing on our planet is grown randomly, right? Everything is here for a reason. It has a purpose. Um, it has a, a side effect or a main effect. Um, so that's, that's my biggest argument is why is it here? Why does our body body have receptors for it and connect the dots yourself? I mean, um, I mean, think about like, you know, why is it here? Think about back in the day, you're walking in the forest and you just smell this like overpowering, like, whoa, what is that? Like this terpene, like this terpene, it's coming right in the face. I mean, why does it smell like that? Why, why are there so many, like, it's just so, it's such a unique plant. Um, and it, it was put here for a purpose. There's no reason it wasn't. Why would they make it smell the way it does? Why would they? Mm-hmm. Why would they make it part to of attract our... to attract us to consume it? Exactly. Um, if, and, if it was a defense mechanism for people not to consume it, it would smell horrible. Yes, exactly. And it looks like it worked for you and me. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, let's let's wrap it up here. This has been an incredible conversation, Dylan. I've learned so much about you your farm, Hawaii in general. Um, are there any new projects on the horizon that you'd like to discuss? I know you have that second floor expansion. Uh, you got some edibles that you're looking to, to move into the, the States. Is there anything else that you'd like to share? Uh, I would just say that, you know, we, we do have a reciprocity part of our law. So if you're interested about learning about Hawaii, you know, you can travel here and you can register your medical card and come visit us. So, wow, you know, that's, don't feel like you can't access the dispensaries when you come. You do need to have a medical medical card from another state, um, but it's not a very difficult process to register that if you do have one. Uh, that's mm-hmm. one thing. In terms of like new stuff going on, I mean, the main thing I'm focused on right now is just building this company. Uh, I've been doing it for six years. Um, looking forward to the next six years. I'm not going anywhere. This is what I love to do. And I, I'm so blessed to wake up every morning in Hawaii and be able to cultivate my favorite plant and it's a dream. Continue normalizing plant medicines all the way around. And um, I mean, the one another thing that I, I guess I would like to just talk about is just our, our you know, these these gummies that we're kind of working on um, with yes. wine flavors. Anyone's interested in that, uh, they can contact me. Um, we're still like really d- dialing the recipes in terms of what we can get in terms of raw ingredients here. Because again, like going back to the logistics part we talked about earlier, you know, got to figure out how to also, you know, get the, the Hawaiian, cause I don't want to do something where it's like a Hawaii thing, unless it has Hawaiian ingredients. Like it's, it doesn't make mm-hmm. any sense to me. Um, it's been, and people behind the brand. Exactly. So it's got to have like the purpose, the mission and the ingredients, and it's got to benefit farmers. And mm-hmm. I'm a, I, at the end of the day, I'm a fifth generation farmer. I, that is, wow. I am, I'm a, I'm a farmer tr- tried and true. Like that's where my background is. That's where I came from. Um, and so that's something cool we're working on. Love to talk to people about it. We're actually going to be at um, MJ BizCon. Uh, Hall of Flowers has uh, been nice enough to put us in their little collection of brands. 
So if anyone wants to talk about the industry in Hawaii, wants to learn about what we're doing, uh, wants interested in the, in the gummies that we're creating, just please stop by the booth at MJ BizCon and I'll be there. My team will be there. We'd love to talk story and um, yeah, hang out. Perfect. And what's the best way for people to reach you online? That's a great question. Um, I have, you know, I would just say to reach me through Big Island Grown. We have our Instagram. Cool. I mean, I'm connected to our Instagram. Uh, we just lost our, our Instagram, so we have a backup page right I now. I saw that. I, I yeah. clicked on the, the footer yeah. of the website, and yeah, it every, you and everyone else, man, uh, it sucks. I was just talking to uh, a Brad at 710, and he lost his, and like a bunch of other people in the industry losing theirs. It's so crazy. He got his back up, and people are getting back mm-hmm. up, but it seems like they're like attacking Instagram right now pretty hard. But we, our Instagram right now, our backup page is Big Island Grown Hawaii. And our website's BigIslandGrown.com. Super easy to find I'll us link there. link them both in the description. Yeah, you can sure. email my, you know, you can email me um, through our site, you know, info at BigIslandGrown.com and, and email me about the, the gummies or, um, you know, if you, you know, I, I welcome anyone to come over to Hawaii. I wish I could give tours, but, you know, going back to the FBI background checks, it just creates, it's yeah. so difficult to do that right now. But I really hope that, you know, as the program expands in Hawaii and federal happens that, I could do cannabis tourism. You know, I got a big property with like 20 waterfalls on it. And I'm already setting up little uh structures. That's pretty baller. Doing Not like, a lot of people can say they have 20 waterfalls on their property. Yeah, doing like a permaculture like resort on there. And I want to do like a cannabis tourism like destination and, and, and it really like a place where people can heal themselves from plants, mm. all plants, in, including cannabis. And and uh, yeah, that's, the, that's my mission in life is normalized plant medicine. That's my mission. I love it. Well, we will be seeing you out there. I don't know exactly when, uh, but we will have a Can of Cribs episode out there. Um, yes. I definitely want to check out those waterfalls and your grow operation. So I'll, I'll see you out there, and uh, I'll see you at MJ Biz Conference as well. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you. Nick, thank you so much. It was a pleasure being here. Aloha. Thanks for joining us today on the Can of Cribs podcast, brought to you by the top brands in the game. We have five categories we want to highlight to help you elevate your craft. Starting with Cultivation by Grodan, Lighting by Horticultural Lighting Group, Nutrients by Athena, Post Harvest by Green Bros, and the Dispensary category by Treats. Thank you to these partners for helping us create this podcast and bring more knowledge to your garden. If you want to support the Canna Cribs podcast, head on over to the link in the description or go to growershouse.com and check out these industry leaders today. While you're there, check us out on Instagram and join the Growers Network Forum to meet growers all around the world just like you. Happy growing.